listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heart Seas Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. excited so are you ready today you better be why because you asked you asked for it so today the number one topic the number one subject or question that was asked was this what is spiritual warfare would you talk to us pastor about spiritual warfare and here's what I believe and I could be wrong but I believe the reason why you asked in regards to spiritual warfare is because you realize the struggle that we're in right now is greater than the one we just see and hear. It's not just what we see. It's not what we just hear. There's more to it. There's another dimension. And you're right. The other dimension that we're in is we're in a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual battle. And what we will see today is a spiritual battle requires a different fight and a spiritual battle requires a different response from our lives. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're really going to break this message into two parts. The first part that we're going to look at is we're going to identify the struggle. What's the battle? What's the fight? Who's the opponent? We're going to expose the enemy. And I believe there's something so powerful in even just exposing the enemy because what we're going to see is everything that he presents himself as in our lives, he ain't in all that. Come on now. He ain't all that. If you've ever been a part of like one of those scare houses or something, whatever, during Halloween, I've never liked stuff like that. I cannot understand why people would pay or want to be scared. I've never found any joy in that. But if you do, if you've ever seen one of those with the light, lights on, it looks a whole lot different to the lights off. The lights off, you're like freaking out. The lights on, you're like, what? That's it. That's it. That's not scary. That's not scary. And what we want to do today is we want to turn the lights on to the lies of the enemy because the enemy wants to present himself to your life like he's big and bad and mean and aggressive and everything. But when the lights are on, you can look again and say, you ain't all that devil. And he isn't. So we're going to start by exposing the lies of the enemy. And then the second part of the message is we're going to talk about our weapons of engagement. What God has given us to be victorious against the devil. And I strongly urge you today to take notes. I think every one of you needs a preaching journal, just a journal, a book that you just take notes from the word of God. You can use your tablets, you can use your phones too. But, you know, I know with me, when I use my phone, I have the tendency to see what's going on on Instagram. I have the tendency to check out Facebook. Come on, I'm just being real with you. There's that temptation right there or someone texts you and it's right there. So I think just put your phone away, get you a book. Get you a journal and take notes because we're going to load you down with scriptures today. Say with me, truth. Truth. 
Because that's what God's word is. It's truth for your life. Because the Bible has much to say in regards to spiritual warfare and ultimately your victory. I've read the end of the book. I said, I've read the end of the book. And the end of the book says we win. You are victorious in Christ. And we've got to keep and maintain the course because the Bible says we're victorious. But as we maintain the course. So what's the enemy's goal? The enemy's goal is to knock us off track. Wants to steer us away from the course. Wants to divert us from God's way. What does he use? Assumptions. Have you ever allowed an assumption to take you off track? Yeah, you have. You assume that someone means something. Hey, have you ever had your feelings steer you wrong? Your feelings will lie to you, you know. And so many times our feelings can steer us wrong and take us off the track. Division in relationships, hatred, fear, lust. That's just to name a few. But the enemy wants to take us off track so we no longer win. But I want to tell you today, God sees you as a winner. You have the ability to win and be victorious in him. So let's go on a journey today. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10. First word says, finally. Finally. I I, I just have to picture almost Paul, not just saying, okay, here's the last thing I want to say, but I almost picture it as Paul saying to everyone, finally, you're getting this. Finally. Have you ever said that to someone? Finally. Because you've tried everything else, you've done everything, you've gone everywhere, and then it's like, finally. I just really believe that's what God's word is telling us. Watch that we're not trying and putting our faith in everything else. This is the answer. You've exhausted everything else, I believe the writer is saying. Finally, here's the truth. Here's what you need in life. So it says, finally, my brethren, my brothers and sisters, be strong. Say with me, be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That be strong is very important since it's not in your strength, but it's in his strength. It's in God. New Living Translation says, be strong in his mighty power. Put on the whole armor of God, verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. New Living Translation says, so you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Man, does he have some strategies. Does he have some twists and turns? He has some curveballs that he wants to throw your way. But the goal is to stand. Notice that, that you can still stand no matter the strategy, no matter what he throws against you, you can still stand and remain through everything. able to stand. What is Satan trying to do? Trip you up. He's trying to make you fall. If you've ever visited someone in a nursing home or a hospital, sometimes people can be called a fall risk. They have a risk of stumbling and falling. So what they'll do is they'll put a big sign on the door and a lot of times they'll put a big yellow wristband on that says fall risk. Why? Because they want everyone to know that they shouldn't be walking down the hole because they have the tendency or the opportunity to fall flat on their face. 
There's too many of us as Christians that have a notice behind the door in our house that have something that is identifying as, as a full risk. Come on. God has called each and every one of us to stand, stand, stand. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our struggle and our fight is not against our spouse. Our struggle is parents. It's not your boss, it's not your neighbor, it's not your classmate, your teammate. The Bible says it's not flesh and blood, but it's against principalities, against the rulers of darkness. And we need to have some victors. Do I hear an amen? We've got too many people who are knocked down, and we've got to have some people that are remaining standing. And spiritual warfare is real, whether you see it or not. Or whether you choose to believe it or not. Well, Pastor Philip, I just don't believe in that. Just because you don't see it, and just because you don't believe it, doesn't ever stop it from being true and being real. It's there. You can close your eyes all you want. There's principalities and powers. There's a spiritual attack that's out against our lives. And we've got to face it. We've got to keep it, though, in proper perspective. Because if we don't, we'll see a devil in everything. And I just want you to know, not everything is spiritual. A lot of it can be our neglect too. Our failure to do what God has called us to do. And we're going to come back to that a little later. But notice this statement, and that is this. Spiritual attacks do not warrant our failure to take practical responsibility. Look at that. Spiritual. They're real, but they do not warrant our failure to take practical responsibility. Oh, there's an enemy that's out to attack me spiritually, but I still practically need to be engaged in doing what God has given me as responsibilities in my life. It's too easy at times to blame the devil for something he hasn't even done. Well, the devil made me do that. No, the devil didn't make you do nothing. You chose to do it. He gives assumptions, he gives thoughts, and he gives us suggestions. But you turn those suggestions and into what? Implication, application. You're the one that puts it to work and to engage it in your life. So many times we blame the devil for something. He said, oh, I don't need to do it because you're doing a good enough job on your own. The devil probably even could say, man, well, I couldn't even do better than what you're doing just... Knock yourself out. Just enjoy yourself. Hang in there. So part number one. What is the opposition? not a red man with horns, a pointy tail, a pitchfork running around in a pharmacy. But he didn't start bad. Satan didn't start bad. And in fact, before he was known as Satan, he was known as Lucifer. Lucifer, the shining one, the day star. The angel of light. 
In the Word of God, we have three angels that are listed. We have Lucifer, we have Gabriel. A lot of people know Gabriel coming up with Christmas. Gabriel was the one that came and gave the announcement to Mary that she was going to have a child of God. But then there's also another one that's Michael, Michael the archangel. He's the one in Scripture you see in Ezekiel, you see in Revelation. He's the one that's leading the charge in battle. He's the one that's out there doing the work of God in that realm. So we see three angels, three cherubim, three archangels, messengers of God, but one turned bad. Something happened. An event took place. Isaiah 14 verse 12 through 14 really recounts or recalls to us the events that took place that took Satan from a place of Lucifer to a place of bad. And it says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And I will be like the Most High. I'll be like God. I will be equal with God. You can read a similar description in Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel 28 paints a picture of the appearance of Lucifer. The Bible speaks of his beauty, that he was magnificent to behold, that precious um, stones and rocks, they were his covering, that he was literally an instrument. He had pipes of praise because Lucifer was the praise and worship leader of heaven. He was the one that stood between the angelic host and God. He was the one that orchestrated the praise up to God. But what happened? Pride entered into his heart. That one day he said, why should I give something to God when I can keep it for myself? And he stole praise from heaven and he's been trying to steal your praise ever since. And he stole praise from heaven. And here's what happened. Bam! God just kicked him out of heaven. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 10 and verse 18. Jesus says these words, and I saw Satan fallen like lightning. From heaven. There wasn't a big power struggle. There wasn't a big fight. God took his little finger and just pinged him out. He dethroned Satan and cast him down to this earth. Now you may say, well, where is this in scripture? Where does this take place? I believe, and I was taught this when I was at Bible school, I believe that this took place between Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 And Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. Let me show you that passage of scripture. The Bible says this, Genesis 1 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 begins with, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. Something we know about God is this. God does not create chaos. God creates perfect order. 
Anything and everything that God does is perfect. So we see in Genesis 1 verse 1, a perfect world. Genesis 1, 2, something that has laid, destroyed, wiped out, void and darkness. In fact, if you would go to the original language, the word created in Genesis 1 is the word bara, B-A-R-A. That word literally means to create from no pre-existing materials, that God made from nothing a world. Then we read of the account in Genesis where God created and spoke again. The word of creation there is asa, A-S-A-H. And that word of creation literally means to create from already existing materials. So what we see is God created a world perfect. Something happened that now that perfection is destroyed. And I believe there's something that happened in between the perfection and annihilation was the fall of Lucifer. In fact, in the original language, there's a little mark after verse 1 that's called a Rebbe. It's R-E-B-H-I-A. And that little mark in the Hebrew language serves to inform the reader that there is a break in the narrative at this point and a pause is needed before going on to the next verse. Science has tried to tell us that this earth is millions of years of age. People say, well, the Bible just says it's 6,000. The Bible is 6,000 years of age from the time of recreation, but it doesn't mean that Genesis 1 verse 1 did not fall into the category of maybe millions of years ago. I don't know. But what we do know, there's a pause, there's a gap, there's a space. There's something that took place in that period of time. I personally believe that's where the dinosaurs were. Dinosaurs aren't recorded in God's Word. We don't see them living and moving around in those days. But what do we see? We see with how the skeletons, how the remains, how the fossils that have been found, we see that most of the animals are depicted to be in a stress or an awful situation. There was a destruction. There was something that came that caused them to be in the way they were. I believe that was during this time. I know know I'm not here to preach this, but I want to make a point with this. Lucifer was sent out of heaven and put where? He was sent to earth. And that's why I believe there was now darkness and void upon the face of the earth. Why? Because we still know today that everything Satan wants to do is to destroy what God has created perfect. He wants to bring darkness into your marriage. He wants to bring a void into your life spiritually, physically, financially, in your health. He wants to bring voids into your life. First John 5 and 19, and there's many other scriptures like this in the Word of God for the sake of time. I haven't given them. But First John 5 verse 19 says, We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We're of God, but there's a power that's operating on this earth. The Bible talks of Satan now being the God of this age, but it's God with a small g. There's only one capital G. There's only one real God. But he is the God of this age. He is controlling or thinking he's controlling. He's disrupting is a better way. The plan and the purpose of God in our lives. So what do we know? The devil is definitely real. He's real. He's real. He's real. Here's the second thing that we've got to realize. The devil is at war with us. He's not after your neighbor. 
He's after you and your neighbor. He's after everyone. He doesn't want to leave anyone alone. Now, as a Christian, we believe there's a bigger target on our back, but Satan wants to destroy mankind. Because what are we created in? The image and likeness of God. Anything created in the image and likeness of God reminds him of the fact that he could not stand up to God. So it's been his life's mission to destroy mankind ever since. Satan doesn't like you. The devil doesn't like you. He's not your friend. First First Peter 5 verse 8 tells us these words. Be sober. And be vigilant. Some translations say it this way. Stay alert. Watch out. But I, I just got to say this. I like that word sober there. I like that sober there. And I like the fact of the implication it presents in each and every one of our lives. Because I believe today there is a massive lie that Satan has inflicted into the lives of Christians. And that lie, I believe, is this. That alcohol is okay. It's okay. Just a little bit here and a little bit there. I know from Kelly and I's standpoint and and from our family, we've made a choice, very conscious choice, that we're going to completely abstain from anything in reference or to do with alcohol. And we've chosen not to drink. And we've made a stand there. Some people look at us and say, you're crazy. People, though, today have labeled alcoholism as a sickness. You see, labeling alcoholism as a sickness is saying it's not your fault. And that's what the enemy wants us to do, make us feel that we are powerless to these things. But the realistic, the the ideal thing that you need to see today is alcoholism is not a sickness. It's a spiritual attack that wants to destroy your life. It's a principality and power in the form of liquid that wants to destroy your life and wants to take you out. And you can get upset with me all you want, but I've never seen a good story that's been attached to alcohol. I've never seen a good story that's talked or began and they went out drinking and then great things happened. It's always not good. Not good. Now, now when God sets you free and you're delivered, a great story can happen. But alcohol is not a good story. And like it or leave it, that's just an addition I put in the message. But I just really felt when I looked at that sober, we could say, yes, stay alert, be watchful, all those things. Yes, but I just wonder if maybe some things in the word of God were put in there just to say it how it is. Be sober. Don't be intoxicated, inebriated. Don't be swayed. Don't be blinded by any other thing. Why is that? Because the Bible tells us right here, your adversary, the devil, he's walking around. Literally, he's on the prowl. He's ready to pounce. He's ready to jump. He's ready to catch you off guard so he can jump on you. But the Bible says he's the adversary and he's walking around like a roaring lion. Why is he like a roaring lion, Elizabeth? Because he ain't got no teeth. Why has he not got any teeth, Elizabeth? Because Jesus kicked him out on Calvary. Come on, he's just like a roaring lion. He's not even a lion. He has the appearance. Come on, we're turning the light on today, exposing who he really is. He is nothing. But God is everything. He's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's not your friend. In fact, he's at war against you to destroy you. And John 10 verse 10 tells us this. The thief does not come except To steal, to kill, and to destroy. Nothing good in those three things. 
Don't want those three things. And I'm so glad that God didn't say period. God says comma, but I have come. Come on, not end of story, but I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. First Peter 5, 8 and then verse 9 tells us, resist him steadfast in the faith. In other words, stand against him. Stay ready. Be ready every day. In Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, it gives the account of Jesus when he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted for 40 days. Here he is starving and he's been tempted and tormented for 40 days. But he overcomes. And listen to how it closes out in Luke. And really, there is no closure in what it says. Look what it says in Luke 4 and verse 13. It says these words. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, when he wasn't successful, what did he do? Did he leave him and say, man, forget you. I can't beat you. I'm going to go to the next person. No, what did he say? The devil departed from Jesus until what? An opportune time. The devil is out to get you. And if he don't get you today, he's going to be waiting for tomorrow. If he doesn't get you tomorrow, he's been. Now, we don't live afraid of that. We live prepared for that. But we've got to realize this, that we may get the victory today, but we need a victory tomorrow too. We need a victory. We need to be living in the victory of God because when we get complacent and we allow pride to rise up, that's when the enemy can sneak his way in. But when we stay on our face before God and realize he's out to get us, but he's a defeated foe and we're victorious, come on, we can rise above it. Satan every day is strategizing and waiting for an opportunity to take you out. And you can say a lot of bad things about the devil, rightly so. But give him credit for this. He's very patient. He studies his prey. And he knows exactly where your weak point is. He knows what buttons to push in your life. And you may say, well, I thought Satan cannot read my mind. He cannot read your mind, but he is your friend on Facebook. Amen. Doesn't need to read your mind. You you put it out for everyone to see. Anyone can see those things and he's out to destroy your life. So number one, he's real. Number two, he's out after you. And number three, the devil has power. The devil has power. He has power. Well, how much power? Let me just stop all that and let me just say this. I think we credit him with too much power. Let me say that again. We credit the devil with too much power because really the only power he has over you is the power you give to him. Is the power that you give to him. Again, he can suggest, he can present, but he cannot make you do. That's a conscious choice that you choose to make. You give in to that. I'm going to go show you scripture of that. You may say, well, I don't believe that. Well, God's word, I believe, answers every question for us. So let's go to God's word. Ephesians 4, 26, 27. Are you with me? Is this okay today? New Living Translation. If you don't like it, turn to your neighbor and say, you asked for it. Ephesians 4, 27 or 26, 27, New Living Translation says this. And do not sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. 
Verse 27, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Notice, don't sin by letting anger control you. Just having anger in our lives for times can be okay, but what makes it wrong is when it takes control over our lives. The Bible says that it begins to take control, and then what do we do? We let the sun go down while it's still out of control in our lives. Please notice, we can blame everyone else, but the Bible is very specific. Don't let anger go down on your watch. Don't go to sleep on your watch. Why? Because anger will give a foothold for the devil. I believe what Paul is telling us here is not in reference just to anger. I believe he's using anger as the subject matter for this particular incident. But I believe he is illustrating something much bigger than just one thing in our lives today. And I believe what Paul is telling us through the word of God is this. Don't leave the door open. Don't leave the doorway open. Don't allow a crack in the door for the enemy to come in because you can be mad, you can do all these, but what are you doing really? You're opening up an opportunity. Well, I'm not going to forgive them. That's a wide open door for Satan to come in and have power over your life, over your thoughts and over your mind. And don't you say, oh, that's not true. Oh, it's not? You go to bed mad at someone and see how mad you are of them when you wake up in the morning. That power just eats you throughout the day. It eats you throughout the night. And we've all messed up. We've all made mistakes. And I'm glad that because we've messed up doesn't mean it's over. Doesn't mean we have no more hope that we're done. But I'm telling you this, we are done when we don't close the door. One of the biggest open doors that we leave wide open in our lives is the past. Come on, you got to slam shut on your past because the past wants to invade your present and destroy your future. God says, I've come for you to be set free from the past, letting go of those things that you can reach. you got to shut the door. So many of us are leaving open doors in our life for the enemy to come in and therefore the power he has is the power that we give to him. Ephesians... For New Living Translation says this, we give him a foothold. I like what the New King James says. We give him an opportunity. I wonder how many opportunities you give Satan every day. You know, a phone that you have in your hand is an incredible tool, but it's also an incredible opportunity. Let me just go on this site and just see. Oh, it's just no big deal. You are opening up a door that wants to take control over your life. Well, the devil made me. No, he didn't make you do it. He told you that everyone else is doing it, and that's a lie. Maybe some other people are, but not everyone is doing it. But it's an open door. It's an opportunity. How many doors are we given opportunity to the devil in? One other translation says it this way. We're giving him real estate. It's like our house. So picture your house right now. And next door, you're just giving him the vacant lot and you're saying, devil, come and, come and build right beside me. And don't just be a, just join your, let's have an adjoining house. That's what we're doing. We're giving the devil opportunity over our lives. Another example was anger, but another one can be fear. Fear can be another open door. What do we know about fear? Anyone shout out. What do we know about fear? Cripples use. And all those things are good. But you know what, what we really need to know about fear? You don't need to know that about fear. Here's what you need to know about fear. God's not given you fear. That's where you've got to start. 
Because fear wants to start with you crippled and paralyzed, afraid. Oh no, what am I going to do? God's not given me fear. End of story. But what does fear do? We give into it. We give in to that spiritual attack of Satan and it can be a powerful thing and it becomes so powerful that what we were just afraid of this now invades every area of our life. Now we're not sleeping in the dark anymore because we need the lights on because we're afraid. Now we're not leaving the house. We're not doing because we are bound by fear. A made up concept in our mind can become such a spiritual battle. That we face. You gotta close the door. I want to go on record today as saying this also, and this is something that I believe needs to be addressed. As a child of God, I believe from God's word that it's very clear that you cannot be possessed by the devil. If God is living inside of your life and you have confessed him as Lord and Savior over your life, you cannot be possessed by a demonic presence. How do I know this? The Bible says a house divided against itself cannot stand. You can't have two masters in your house. It's either God or it's the enemy. Now, I do believe this, and listen to me, I believe that there can be such a great oppression that can come upon you, that can sometimes feel like you're possessed, but it's not. It's from the outside, not from the inside, because greater is he that was within you, but sometimes there can be a crushing. And I believe the Bible speaks of that in Corinthians. It talks about we're hard-pressed on every side, knocked down, perplexed, but guess what? We're still standing. We're not crushed. We're not taken out. Why? Because it says, but we have this treasure in our clay vessel, in our man, just our frailty. We have a treasure that is greater. And I believe that God is a treasure. That will not allow us to be possessed. Oppressed, yes. But possessed, no. And let me remind you and make you aware of this today. Because we've talked about his power. And I don't want you to give the devil the glory for power in his life. Look at this scripture. 1 John 4 verse 4. You are of God, little children. I like how he says it. You're of God. And then he just kind of reminds you really who you are. You're just maybe a little kid, but that's okay because you have overcome them. Because what? He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's not a feeling. That's a factual truth. God is greater. You may feel like a little kid. You're a new babe in Christ. Guess what? Still, the God that's inside of you is greater than anything that you will ever face in this earth. And oh, Satan maybe has some power that we give to him, but Satan is totally subjective. To God. Read it in Job. God says to him, Where have you been? Devil can't even keep a secret from God. He has to give an account of everything that he has done. And God says, You can only do this much and no more. He is under the power of God. Not meaning that God uses him to do his dirty work. But God says, You can go so far and no more. So what do we know? It's this real stuff. But everything is not the devil. Remember we talked about that? That people say, well, that's just the devil of sickness. Oh, that's just the devil of lust. That's just the devil of this. I think, again, we give power to things that need to be powerless in your life. I counsel with a lot of people, and here's what I hear many times. Well, pastor, I'm just under a spiritual attack right now. Just under a spiritual attack. And even spiritual attack is spiritual.
enemy. And, and, and the example of marriage is really under a spiritual attack right now. It's important to pray. Do that. But don't just pray. Take authority or take, I, take inventory, that's the word I'm looking for, of your life. Is it a spiritual attack or is it the fact that you're never home and you're never giving your wife any attention? Is it the fact of how you talk to each other and how you present yourselves? Is it the fact that you're cohabitating in the same home, but that's about all you're doing? Come on, we can label it as a spiritual attack all we want, but maybe it's a failure to do what we know we need to do. And God has given us the tools and the abilities. And I believe most of the attacks that we face in our home and most of the attacks that we face in our life are not spiritual, they're you-able. You-able. What do I mean by that? Youable. That's a new word for this message. Are you ready? They are youable, meaning what? That you are able to change that. You can change the way you talk to someone. You can change the time that you give to someone. Oh, yes, there's spiritual attacks. We're preaching on that, spiritual warfare. But spiritual warfare and spiritual attacks never negate the responsibility of us doing what God has called us to do. And by the way, be back here tonight for Married for Life, or you're married. We're going to learn about some great tools. I believe as a nation, we're under a spiritual attack right now. I believe we're seeing that. In July, in this area, and not just here, but it spilled out really to the entire world, we saw shootings, we saw things that took place that just sparked a hatred that was labeled as racism. A hatred that caused disunity and division in our community. That people were rising up against other people. People were almost being forced into taking a side. What we need in those situations, what we need right now, is a spiritual breakthrough. Oh, oh, I'm glad that some of the conversations that came about of that, I think it was great for people to come together. I think it was great for dialect. I think it was great to hear other sides and, and to hear people present their hearts. But words of agreement and words will never change the main problem. And the main problem is this, man's heart. Man's heart. And there's only one that can change man's heart, and that's God. It's a spiritual war we're in. It's a spiritual battle. But here's our weapons of engagement. I'm running over time, so let me give them to you really quickly. Our weapons of engagement, part number two. Here's the weapons that we have. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 4. For though we war in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, or what we fight with, are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. The NIV says of verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. It's not guns, it's not swords, it's not spears. It's not fleshly things. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That word stronghold there is literally the lies of the devil that wants to keep you trapped in a state of slavery. That God wants to tear down strongholds with spiritual weapons that will do the work. So what are those weapons? Number one, the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. I said there's power 
in the name of Jesus. Philippians 2 verse 9, NIV says, Therefore God has what exalted him to the highest place. And God has given him the name. He didn't give him a name. He gave him the name. It's not another name. There's only one name, the name of Jesus. That at the name, verse 10, of Jesus, every knee should bow, shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. God's covering it all right there, here and there. God says every knee will bow and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. There's power in the name, a name that is highly exalted above every other name. Come on, you know there's powers in names. Some of you have maybe been told this by the doctor, you've got cancer. That's a power in a name. That can change your life right there. Depression is that there's power in that name. Debt is another powerful name that can have implication. Divorce and the stigma, the fear, all these. There's power in names, names, names. I know in our home, we've got six kids. So when it's supper time, everyone's spread everywhere. So it's normally you'll get one's attention and you'll send them and say, hey, go and tell everyone it's supper time. Well, what usually happens is they run to the room and they say, hey, come on, it's supper time. And then they come back and nothing happens. No one else comes with them. And you're like, well, what's up? Well, what did you tell them? Well, I told them it was supper time. Okay, well, go and tell them that mum or dad said you need to come. Because what happens is when they think it's their brother or sister telling them something like, I don't have to listen to you. You're not my boss. You're not in charge of me. Come on, I'm in your home. You know what I'm talking about. But when they go in and they say, Dad said, or mom said, all of a sudden it because of the name. Then what happens, they begin to scurry because they know if they don't scurry, they're in. There's power in a name. There is power in the name of Jesus. You know what you need to do every day? About the name of Jesus. You need to speak the name of Jesus. You need to claim the name of Jesus. You need to pray the name of Jesus. In every situation, use the name of Jesus. Well, pastor, that sounds so simple. It is. But yet it's so powerful. Speak the name of Jesus. I know every prayer I end, I end it this way. And in the name of Jesus. Amen. So be it. So be it. So be it. I remember... In 1991, I came over to Baton Rouge. It's when I first came over to America to Bible College. I came to Jimmy Swaggart Bible College. And when I was here one night, just God was doing such incredible things in my life. And I knew what God had called me to do. And just my life was probably never fuller of God. And I was just so excited with what God was doing. And I remember one night having a demonic encounter, something that was so real. I remember being in my bed and I remember a presence of a bodily person, it felt like, came and put their knees. If this was my head right here, they came and just sat right on my chest and pinned me down. I could see the image of that person so clearly that I personally believe it was the devil himself that came to me that night. I really do. And I could see that image just like Richard, just like Brittany, just like anyone here. I could see the image so clearly and I could hear the voice so distinctly that that voice was just jeering in my face, pointing in my face saying, I'm going to kill you. You're not going to make it. You're going to die. Who do you think you are? You're nothing. You're nothing. You're nothing. You're nothing. 
I'd never had an experience like this before, but I was literally paralyzed. I felt all strength just leave my body. In fact, I really believe this, not in the state of a physical, but in a spiritual space. I really feel I was almost like that far away from dying. It was such a real moment where I felt like everything had been taken from me. Everything, everything. I'd never had an experience like that, but I'd heard of other people who had. And I heard one thing that they said, call on the name of Jesus. My parents taught me that whenever you're in trouble, they're a test. You don't know, call on the name of Jesus. So I'm going to call on the name of Jesus. So here I am, I'm about, and I couldn't even open my mouth. And I couldn't even speak. Seriously, I'm telling you right now, if you know me, you know I don't make up a story. This is something that was so real to my life. I couldn't even speak. I couldn't even open my mouth. I couldn't even move my lips. And for that split second, it's felt like an eternity. You, you have no idea the fear that came into my life because I'm like, if I can't speak this thing away, it's going to destroy me. It's going to kill my life. What am I going to do? So I said, well, Philip, if you can't speak the name, I started to think the name. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. The whole time the devil's in my face jeering and laughing. I'm going to kill you, destroy you. You've got no power. You're never going to make it. Preach. Yeah, right. Have a church. Yeah, right. You're going to be destroyed. I'm going to take you. And all I'm doing is just thinking the name of Jesus. And it was so weak to start with, even in my mind. But then I began to realize that the more I thought the name, I began to realize in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. It began to come out of my mouth. What was a thought now began was to take root. And as I thought it more and I spoke it more, I found myself getting to that place. In the name of Jesus. Devil, get out of this place. You are not going to have my life. You're not going to have my future. You're not going to steal from me. You're not going to rob me. And furthermore, let me go on the record. I'm coming after you. And I'm telling you, as I began to declare the name of Jesus, he threw himself back and it was like something grabbed a hold of him by the collar of his neck and just yanked him back and threw him out. His presence completely left that place. Why? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. The enemy wants you to be afraid. We're turning on the lights today. We're saying, devil, you ain't taking authority over our lives no more. Because in the name of Jesus, we have the victory. Second weapon we have is the Word of God. The Word of God. You know what the Word of God is? It's the Bible. It's the Word of God. We need to speak the Word of God. What a truth we have. Hebrews 2 verse 12. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a weapon of offense. Back to where we started, Ephesians 6, 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith. That's our defense where you can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation, protect your mind in Christ and pick up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's the only offensive weapon that we have. And it says, take up the sword, which is the word of God. Remember, We talked about Jesus being tempted in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. And the reason why Jesus was able to be victorious through those temptations is because with every temptation, 
He spoke the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone. He'll give his angels charge over you to lift you up. He quoted back the word of God and Satan had no response to God's word. That's why you need to know it. Listen to me. That's why you need to. The Bible says in the truth, you know, will bring freedom in your life. You need to know the word of God. Excuse in ignorance is no excuse. You have it. Read it. It can even be read to you today. You've got apps on your phone, you version. Read them. You need to be in a Bible reading plan. Today we're in day 311. We're just, what, 56, 55 days away, because this is a leap year, huh? 55 days away from completing the entirety of God's Word, and we pray that you're still following with us. For some of us, that's going to be an incredible achievement. I'm excited because Luke's ready to finish that. He's been going through it every day, and I'm so proud of him with that. So excited. But in Psalms 91, it talks about, from the Word of God, it talks about that he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow. It talks about you will see this and you will see that and you will see. But then there's a shift. If you've ever read Psalms 91, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's like the first 13 verses are written in a different tense or a different way. I don't even know how to explain it. I'm not great at English, even though I'm English. But in verse 14, it just shifts. And all of a sudden, it shifts from a you to a me. It says these words, look what it says in, in, in Psalms 91 verse 14, because he set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set them on high because he has known my name. There's a shift in Psalms 91 from you, you, you to me, me, me. And I believe that's a shift that needs to happen in our lives. That God's word is not just for you, God's word is for me. What do I mean? Personalize it for yourself for your circumstances, put you in it. God, put your name in it. I will. Take it personally for your life. And the last weapon that we've got is the cross. The cross is not just a piece of jewelry around our neck. It's the ultimate defeat of Satan. A lot of people know the cross is salvation, and it is. But it's more than just salvation. The cross is a doorway that we can step through into victorious living. And you need to know that, that when we give our lives to Christ, we can be completely free because he's made us free. So many times we leave those things at the door and we can step into victory. But many of us step through the door of the cross and we still want to bring the baggage of our past into the new life that God has for us. Telling you at the cross, there's total victory for everyone. And if we don't walk in that total victory, it's because we choose to engage ourselves with those things and to bring those things back into our lives. Revelations 1 verse 8 says, For I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of death and of hell. I have the keys of Hades and of death. Three days people think Jesus was laying in a tomb. No, he wasn't. Jesus wasn't even in the tomb. They laid his body in the tomb, shut the door, and he was gone. Why? Because Jesus went down to hell. People wrongly preached that he went down to hell a sinner and he got saved in hell so he could redeem each and every one of us. I'm telling you, there is no way anyone can be saved in hell. Every decision is this side of eternity, not the other side. Jesus didn't go down to hell in defeat. Jesus went down to hell in victory. He went to the devil and he said, boy, give me those keys. The devil is so whooped, he doesn't even have keys for his own house. Jesus took back control. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He overcame so that you and I could overcome. 
And now we can overcome. Revelations 12, 11 tells us we overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. You know what the cross means for you? It's your testimony. It's your life. You need to testify of the cross. You need to testify the fact I'm saved. You need to testify the fact I'm healed. You need to testify that I'm delivered. Why? Because of the cross. I'm living in that victory. Spiritual warfare is real, but God is realer. Not such a word, but there is for this message. It's real. But God has given us the victory. The devil's out to destroy you. He's warring against you, but the only power he has is the power you give. But you can resist him in the name of Jesus. You can resist him through the word. And it's not just a resistance through the cross. There's victory, victory, victory in the name of Jesus, through the word of Jesus and through the cross of Jesus. One last scripture and then I'm going to close today. Romans 8, 37. Yet in all these things. Maybe you're here today saying, Pastor, I've done all that. I'm speaking the name. I'm living the word. I know the cross is my victory. But yet it just seems like I'm not breaking through. Notice what? Yet in all these things, no matter where you find yourself, yet in all these things, you've got to remind yourself and know you are more than a conqueror through Christ who has loved you. What does that mean? Oh, there's spiritual warfare. But the enemy is whooped and defeated because greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. Would you stand to your feet today? Would you stand all over this place? We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heartseas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.